Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've reached the end of another week. The skies are, I would say, sort of middling to stormy. It's very windy in some parts of the country. If you're living up in Scotland or in the northeast of England, uh, it's probably going to be blowing you into the sea. Uh, however, down here, it's not that bad. But we've got a big outlook on the world uh, from this tower from which we broadcast, 17 floors up above London Bridge. And it's looking pretty interesting out there. Uh, a lot of profit being made by an awful lot of people. NatWest Bank have just reported 52 a million pounds of a pay packet uh, for their chief executive, Alison Rose. That's nice, isn't it? 5.2 million pounds. Now, uh, I happen to um, know plenty of people that bank with NatWest. I happen to know plenty of people that put some money into that bank. And guess who that is? Yeah, that's all of us. 5.2 million quid for a year's work. Blimey. Anyway, uh, there's plenty going on. We've also got to talk about the chief exec of uh, British Gas as well, Chris O'Shea. Uh, he's a very, very modest man. He's not sure whether he needs to take his bonus this year of 1.6 million, despite the fact that he's been kicking people's doors in, uh, push, putting uh, meters in and charging them exorbitant amounts of money for their energy. Now, uh, this is the same guy that runs a company that's made billions and billions of pounds in profit, and yet... We're all taking uh, it in a place that we'd rather we weren't taking it, to be honest. I'm not sure how best to describe that. Coming up, Richard Tice is here with us. He's going to be talking about his very good interview last night with Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, the one-time Chancellor. I say one-time because he was only in it for one day or something like that. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about Ulez uh, because some um, re revolutions are going on around London. Uh, They're going to be putting a legal challenge up to Sadiq Khan uh, to say that his green agenda uh, is absolutely and utterly ridiculous. We're also going to be talking about some people's plans to get rid of traffic lights altogether. I'm sure that whoever wants to do that must be a cyclist because they ignore them already. Uh, we'll also really talk to Dr. Susan Mitchell about the terribly sad story uh, that broke overnight about Bruce Willis, who's apparently now suffering from dementia and I want to hear your stories about that today because I think it has to be one of the most awful modern diseases that's afflicting so many families uh, and we're going to be finding out precisely why uh, it is doing that and what it is that we can do about it. Professor Tim Luckhurst joins us to talk about the BBC uh, because apparently Tim Davy, the uh, Director General of the BBC, loves the fact that they don't have to worry about how much loss they make when they produce 
documentaries and when they produce news and when they produce various other programs they're not under the same scrutiny as uh, commercial operators Nicola Adam will join us as well to talk about what's going on with Nicola Bully and how the police have managed to get that so wrong we'll also uh, be paying a visit uh, you might remember a lovely story that we covered of a little girl called Evie we're going to be paying a visit to Evie's household because thanks to um, us to a large extent uh, she did manage to get her operation uh, she needed an operation on her scalp and uh, it has been now done and her mother's going to be joining us to tell us uh, thank you very much indeed to so many of you uh, who helped out and who got everything uh, sorted out in the end. Jamie Jenkins here as well. But first of all, we're going to be reporting in from Belfast as well because Rishi Sunak has gone over to Belfast today supposedly to sort out a new deal for Brexit, not only with Northern Ireland, but also with the European Union. We'll find out what that's all about as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It's Talk TV, the only place to be. And now, who else could kick us off on a Friday? But Richard Tice, looking uh, very well. How are you, Richard? I'm very well indeed, and a very good morning to you. It's been a busy, busy week. Yes, you've been sitting in for Piers. That's right, sitting in for Piers, for the big man himself. Mm. And uh, yeah, we've had lots of uh, lots of great guests. It's been lively, hasn't it? It's been pretty lively. Yeah, we had a bit of a ding dong with Lord Heseltine on. Yes, that was Uh, great. That was quite spicy. And then we had Alex Salmondy and Blackford all go. Mm. And, I mean, with the whole Sturgeon affair, who knows what's going to happen in Scotland. It seems to me that everybody's declaring themselves that they're not going to yeah. run. So far, they seem to be well, struggling John to Swinney find anybody. Well, has, has dropped out, who was the obvious sort of second in That's command, right. I suppose. But, Joanna I mean, Cherry's dropped out. She's not interested. Well, yeah. it's a bit of a poison chalice, because, I mean, why would you want to run uh, the party that stands for independence when you've basically just lost the person who was pioneering it? Because you're never going to get there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. I almost wonder, though, I'm taking a slightly counterintuitive view. Yeah. She was such a divisive figure yes. that someone incoming may actually be able to sort of keep them at the top and just play the independence card a bit less Well, do you know, to me, the SNP are a bit like the Lib Dems, and I spent a lot of time out there, as you know, and I know quite a lot of the figures individually involved, and there's so little agreement in the SNP about everything that they have a real problem actually finding a figurehead that can unite them all because none of them really agree on anything. As the Lib Dems found I, when I, they went into coalition government, you know, all of their MPs basically believe different economic I think, I think we're going to see in the next few days and weeks quite a lot coming out about the concerns over the investigations into I think finances. Happen, yeah. But also the reality is that the, uh, the gender recognition nonsense mm. that Sturgeon completely sort of uh, pinned her mast and colours to. Yeah. I think they're going to ditch that very, very quickly. I think they have and, to. and you know, I had a discussion last night when we had Quasi Quarting on, and he was very clear. He understood what a woman is, and I thought yeah. that was marvellous. So you know, there's well, a senior funny, politician. Funny you should say that because we've got that clip. Let's have a look. What is a woman, as far as you're concerned? Well, a woman is somebody like my mother, who gave, who gives birth, uh, or can has, has the uh, capacity to give birth uh, to children. The question that she got into a pickle over is, are trans women women? Well, that was that was a great... I mean, I don't think biologically they are. I think you can call them what you will, but biologically they clearly aren't. It's, they extraordinary, are clearly aren't it's extraordinary how so many senior politicians are getting in such a pickle. I mean, it's, it's pretty <laughs> obvious. It's pretty basic stuff, isn't it, it? It is, but I think the woke agenda has just taken over. And for Nicola, I mean, she's a very able politician. I mean, to her credit... She's lasted eight years, which is a lot longer than certainly I was chancellor. <laughs> but, 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 but actually, she got herself into a terrible pickle on uh, these quite basic issues. 
See, it was, he, he was very it. honest. He was he very was. relaxed. He was, and I was very. I met him very briefly in the, in the corridor. Yeah, and he's. he's um, uh, he recognises that it was a, an absolute car crash, and, and and good for him because so many politicians just wouldn't want to go near it. But even with him giving the answer, which was a sensible answer, they still look kind of you know gun shy. Don't they? He's got a <laughs> rabbit in the headlights going. Oh, um, and he had to be very careful not to say that it's a woman that can give birth, just in case some women yes. who might not be able to give birth take offence. Take offence. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> but actually, it, he showed a bit of empathy and. He was he was very relaxed. It was the first live interview he yeah. had done. Yes, and it was very significant. I I pushed him very hard on Brexit, on the fact that he was Secretary of State and, and did nothing mm. to deregulate, and I pushed him hard on the nonsense of net zero. He's he's still completely he's down the net convert, zero rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, he's completely. I mean, he actually said because I was watching it. Um, you know, actually, it's madness to think that you could burn coal. Into the well, why is it madness? Yeah. What's mad about it? We, we, you know, we, we run out of time to, to dig into that even more, but yeah. the reality is, coal consumption's never been higher. Eight right. billion tons in 2022, yeah. record high, increasing this year. Uh, it, 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 these guys, they, they're just completely uh, obsessed yes. with this net zero nonsense. That, as I said to him, and he he, he wouldn't accept, but it's making us poorer, colder, mm. and it's killing our well, economy. I mean, I had this very infuriating conversation with Andy Mayer yesterday from the IEA because he was sort of coming at it from the market's perspective as to why we can't make gas cheaper, why we can't make our energy cheaper uh, because of the way that the market is constructed. And I get all that, but it doesn't help the people who are having to pay ludicrous bills. I was getting messages all week this week from people, pensioners, scared to open the gas bills, but, but scared he's, to and, open the bill. But he's completely and utterly wrong yeah. because actually... The bottom line is markets work within a framework. And take France, for example. Yeah. There's a reason why EDF, which is now completely owned, mm. the, uh, the nuclear power business, completely owned by the French government, the reason that they've just declared losses in France is because the government's insisted that actually they protect the consumer. Yeah. And we haven't got that because this Tory government, this Tory party, is ideologically obsessed mm with open, completely untrammeled yeah. free markets. And there are other ways of doing things. Sure. And, and I tried to push Quasi last night on the fact that we've got this energy treasure under our feet and he's not using it. Again, we didn't have a chance to look at the big issue of today, of course, which is Northern Ireland. Mm. And it looks to me as though Sunak is over there trying to sort of spin uh, a, a sort of a, a, a web of confidence mm. amongst the various... Uh, parties in Northern Ireland to try and convince them to accept... Well, he's basically gone there, is he not, to try and convince the DUP, yes, who he's, used he's... to be uh, part of the sort of the coalition, if That's you like, right. that kept Theresa May um, actually in power. Um, he, he's going to try and say that the EU have made significant concessions on the protocol, mm. and it will be nonsense. Uh, the reality is they will still be subject, I suspect, to uh, oversight by the European Court of Justice, mm. which means that Northern Ireland has not left the EU. Right. And therefore, that means that a chunk of the United Kingdom has not left the EU. So yeah. we are watching this absolutely like mm. a hawk. I think Sunak and James Cleverley is in Brussels this morning, apparently. So they're, they're getting very close to mm. some form of uh, deal. It'll be a compromise deal, won't it, though? It, well, it won't uh, be something that you The reality know, is, every I'm, time the Tories have negotiated with the EU, there's only been yeah, one winner, and right. that's been the EU. Right. So, and, and it's uh, been very clear to me, anyways, and I'm sure it has been to you, since 
um, we left, in inverted commas, the European Union. The European Union has been very uh, recalcitrant, truculent, difficult, you know, Absolutely. has punished uh, travellers, has punished tourists, has punished businesses, has punished um, all people Correct. dealing with but, but the, the EU in, in EU countries in any manner, which they didn't have to do. Th th that's right. They have, uh, they have bullied us, they have punished us. And the reality is that the fundamental problem with the deal with the EU is that the protocol itself is utterly, utterly flawed mm. and is a is an unnecessary, terrible agreement. And it's the protocol that's not to go, not various sort of right. checks and balances uh, underneath it. Right. But in terms of the reality of life in Northern Ireland, because I haven't, I used to go there quite a lot, I haven't been there for a long time, you know, how is Northern Ireland on a day-to-day -day basis business-wise? You know, because there, there might be an argument for people to say, well, if it can continue in this kind of sort of halfway house no, but, but type it's, way, it's, it's, it's can, that, can that be a reality? It's impinging very badly on them. You've got mm. you've got major businesses in Great Britain starting to, to to stop trading with Northern Ireland because of all the checks that were going on yeah. and the extra costs going on. Right. So actually, as I understand, uh, there are there is there is real additional unnecessary um, uh, lack of choice and suffering in one part of the United Kingdom. Let's mm. importantly remember because of the madness of this protocol. Yeah. So our view is that it, it, you should be using electronic declarations on the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic. Right. That's where the border is, not down uh, the Irish Sea. No, exactly right. We'll come back to that in a moment. I'm talking to Richard Tice. We're going to take lots of your views today um, as well. Here's a, a really good uh, text that's come in from Ed. Uh, Mike, as the net zero policy was never voted on in Parliament, it should be scrapped immediately and all previous target dates should be recalibrated to what suits the UK best and not the globalist fanatics around the world and in this government. This will give us time to bring it in line with a realistic timetable to ensure all the relevant infrastructures, etc. have been completed prior to it being rolled out. If the Green Lobby object, tell them that all subsidies to wind and solar projects will cease. And that's the other great con, isn't it? That, you know, we keep being told that renewables are cheaper, but they're not cheaper to the consumer because the consumer is still paying ludicrous it's, amounts it's, over the odds for gas. It's not cheaper because you've got, you've got now a total of 16 billion quid a year of inflation-linked costs that we, the, the, the taxpayer, basically, mm. we, the consumer, are suffering. That's about £500 per household right. in um, in the subsidies that are paid to the renewable industry. Mm. So it's not cheaper. And that, and of course, you have to have the insurance policy for when, guess what, occasionally the wind doesn't blow, folks. Yes. And the sun doesn't shine. It's blowing today, point, but it's probably too windy yeah, today. So, so what will happen is today they will be paying constraint payments to the offshore wind farm owners to turn them off. Mm. So we're paying double. Yeah. And the constraint payments, the cost of the constraint payments in the next couple of years is going to soar another couple of billion quid, which even the eco-zealot Chris Skidmore had to admit in his recent report. Yeah. All of this, we have to pay. We have to suffer. Right. Unbelievable. Uh, breaking news from The Times. Rishi Sunak is very close to securing a Brexit deal to fix the Northern Ireland Protocol. This is according to the head of the SDLP. Uh, we'll come back to that. Uh, Richard Tice is here with us. We'll take your calls. We've got loads to talk about, by the way, this morning, uh, including your stories uh, of uh, terrible, terrible energy bills uh, and this ridiculous bonus package for this £1.6 million British gas man. I mean, the world's most well-paid gas man, I think, would be the way to describe him. We'll come back in a moment after this on Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. There's breaking news over in Northern Ireland. It's developing as we speak. There is a deal in the offing, it would seem, according to the SDLP. Uh, that's the Social Democratic Labour Party. Uh, Colm Eastwood is their leader. They hold eight seats at Stormont. Uh, he basically said that he's uh, expecting the DUP to accept the compromise agreement, uh, saying that in every negotiation you don't get everything you want. Well, that's very nice of him, isn't it, to say that to, to the people who are on the opposing <laughs> you, side of, course. of the argument. I mean, that's like, it's just that they're all ramping up the pressure, it seems yeah. to me, on the DUP. But quite properly, the DUP are holding out to ensure that Northern Ireland remains uh, a, a clear and absolute uh, part of the United yeah. Kingdom, right. and that there's no, well, there's like, no divide. Not, you there's can't no really difference. water that down, can you? Well, well, I mean, you're either no, in the United the Kingdom or you're is, not. The truth is that the Tory government did water that yeah. down with the protocol mm. agreement. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. And the DUP is saying, no, enough is yeah. enough. We're not going to let it be watered down. We want it back, please. Yes. Well, now a statement from Sinn Féin's president, Mary Lou Macdonald. Very significant progress has been made, she says, over a deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol. So the pressure, as you say, is building. Just to go back briefly to the NatWest story we mentioned earlier, Alison Rose, um, who is now the, the group's second highest paid boss after disgraced ex-banker Fred Goodwin, um, still 44% owned by the taxpayer, this organisation, right? Now, you and I are both capitalists. I don't think we make any bones about it. Um, although you accused me of being a communist early. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, <clears throat> do you know how much her pay has got up since last year? 46%. From from 3.6 million yeah. to over 5 million. I mean, that's just taking the mickey, isn't it? Well, look, it's, it is taking the mickey. I mean, I when, know a lot of it is due to the share price going up as well. And, and in a sense, we the taxpayers should be grateful for that. But the reality is, when you're the chief exec of a substantial... Uh, taxpayer-owned business, uh, you know, you know that there are issues that are going to come with it. For you example, just can't expect I mean, that level of reward. No, but you've run companies, right? If your share price increases to such an extent that you can increase your chief exec's pay by 46%, what are we getting back? What is the taxpayer getting back if the share price has risen to such an extent and we put X well, amount in, can we not get some of that money? Well, yes, I mean, the taxpayer can either then uh, sell some of those shares into the open market yeah. or just in enjoy the fact that the balance sheet of the government on behalf of the taxpayer has gone up by that value increase. Well, they That's all anything. a good thing. Yeah, well, it is, except for the fact that they haven't mentioned that to us and said, oh, by Correct. the way, we've had a bit of a windfall Which, from of course, our investment in that West. is a comms disaster. Yeah. Uh, but look, this, I mean, whether it's uh, her or whether it's going back to the Centrica boss with uh, his extraordinary uh, bonus that yes. he's not sure whether Mr. he's going to take. It, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because How is last he not year, sure? Well, actually, I suspect he's not sure because last year... He did generously waive his £1.1 million bonus, mm. it seems. So maybe we should take some pity on him. So, well, you're talking a bit of belt tightening in the O'Shea household over the course of the last <laughs> year. You know, cut back on the uh, Verve Clico and the uh, Paul Roger champagne. I think he's just. Champagne. I mean, you know, given the PR fiasco with uh, the bailiffs yeah. going in and putting in pre payment meters. Which they've the now been forced to which stop. Which they've been forced to stop. Yeah. I, I'm convinced that he must have known about that. Of course he, he must did. have been aware of that. Of course he did. And well, I got, I, I, got I got, a bill. Naive. Well, I got a, a bill this morning, right? I'm going to just read it out to you from uh, Scottish Power. Um, £486.66, that's for a quarter uh, in a one-bedroom flat in London, right? So I don't use an awful lot of energy. I'm hardly, I'm not even there that much. I'm always working. But in their final um, additional charges section, oh. it says, uh, use a £10 late payment fee if unpaid after 14 days, £20 additional fee if still unpaid after 28 days, £33.28 if they have to pass it to a debt collection firm. But the best of all, £150 if we have to apply for a warrant to fit a prepayment meter. So obviously Scottish Power is still doing it. And we would and if I was so poor that I couldn't afford to pay the bill, 
I'd have to get another 150 quid yeah. to find so that they can get a warrant to break into my house. I mean, it, it is quite unbelievable. It is quite extraordinary. And I just think they're so out of touch, these people. The idea that he can't work out whether he should accept this 1.6 million bonus or not, mm. given the PR fiasco. I'll help him out with that one. Don't take it. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. Just isn't don't it? do it. It's just, I mean, it's insane. But obviously, uh, the shareholders in uh, Eccentrica are delighted, of which, and, and in fairness, many uh, pensioners are shareholders through their various pension funds and things, and the shares have gone up. So you've got this huge differential between the customers of Centrica. Uh, from the British gas suppliers are really, really struggling. But the shareholders of Centrica are delighted. Mm. Uh, bizarrely, sometimes that's actually one and the same pe- person. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know also, I mean, people are, are I suppose, are due to be made aware that many pension funds invest in companies like Centrica because they're a pretty safe bet. So, I, I you know, well, I, we all understand that there's a sort of, you know, synergy going on with the economy. But nevertheless, individual people making these kinds of monies at this time when people are actually struggling to pay bills which have tripled, that's just not good. No, it just shows a complete lack of empathy with what's going on. It's almost as bad as dear old Nadim Sahari with his lack of empathy yes. about his tax bill, right. uh, where the penal- his penalty was greater than most people earn in their 30 yeah. or 40 years of, right. of working. And, and, and they're so out of touch that they try to sort of stand their ground and say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. And you go, well, it's not really the issue whether you've done anything it's, wrong, is it? I, I, I think it's, uh, it's just untenable mm. for the boss of a business... Uh, that has been basically uh, found out in a secret investigation to be breaking into vulnerable people's homes to install prepayment meters um, to then take out a thumping great uh, great bonus. Yeah. It's just, it just shows just a complete exactly lack right. of understanding of what's going on. Let's talk about uh, nurses, because the nurses have announced uh, further strike action, this time uh, with more uh, damage being done probably to the NHS, more damage to patients, more damage to uh, operations, to procedures... They basically said out loud, and I couldn't believe it when I heard this coming from the mouth of Pat Cullen, uh, the head of the Royal College of Nursing, that they haven't had, as, as strikes have not been effective enough because they've been covering emergency and, you know, life-threatening um, ailments. Now, if they're saying that they're now going to stop doing that, that to me is tantamount to gross negligence, um, potentially corporate manslaughter you know i don't think the nurses have the right to suspend activities within the nhs they're not in charge of well, it they, they always said to date to try and maintain public support that they wouldn't put lives at risk yeah and now uh, elements of the leadership of the nurses union uh, the rcn yeah. seems to be basically moving away from that and i think as every day goes by i think that they will lose public support they will uh, I, I, i'm i'm not even sure they haven't lost it already well, it, that's probably in the balance, mm. but if they're going to basically say, we're going to walk away from intensive care wards, from uh, from cancer wards, yeah. and, and absolutely, without doubt, uh, put people's lives at risk, then I think all support will completely collapse. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, um, I, I think they will rue that day. I just think it's unbelievable arrogance from this woman and from the Royal College of Nurses, because my view of nurses is that there are activist nurses and there are proper nurses. And an awful lot of the people who I see on picket lines are not clearly proper nurses. Some of them are waving socialist worker banners, you know, F the Tories and all this kind of thing. Well, They're re- political <laughs> activists. They are not frontline uh, I, I proper think, nurses. I think that the vast majority actually are the frontline proper nurses getting on wonderfully, delightfully with yeah, Who the would job never walk off the job? Who would never walk let's off the job? Let's not forget. Remember, You're going to say let, what I'm going to say. I think so, that actually... Um, dozens of the NHS trusts up and down the country didn't vote to go on strike. So 
you know, that, that's the proof yeah. in the pudding. So, I mean, if things are so bad, how come so few of them actually are complaining? Well, that's right. I mean, I mean that, you've got to ask that question. You've got to ask that question. And I think that's quite an uncomfortable answer for the Royal College yeah. of Nurses and their leadership. I think they are, they, they are extremists. Yeah. Uh, essentially trying to maximise the damage to the government. But the truth is, mm. they're maximising the suffering and the pain for their patients. Yeah, I think this is, the, this is the end. I think it's a final straw. I think it's a very cruel announcement to make. I think it's an awful thing to say that you're going to do, even if you then walk away from it and don't do it, to say that you're going to stop all activities which would save people's lives. And, and sadly, criminal what, to me. what you actually do, and I agree entirely, Mike, and what you actually do is you terrify a nation, and the nation's been terrified mm. uh, for the last couple of years since COVID yeah. started. And rather than giving confidence that the NHS is getting back on its feet... Mm. You're actually worrying people, causing anxiety. People are not sure whether to, to call a GP, call an ambulance, mm. go to hospital. Will the nurses be there? Will they yeah. not? And all, all of that is bad for, for the nation's health. It's bad for people's health. It's a disaster. Yeah. They should be doing the opposite. Mm, exactly right. Um, finally, your show's back on Sunday. I am indeed. I'm, I'm back on Sunday. The Sunday sermon right. will be back. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. Now, and before I let you go, what's all this about me being a communist? I'm not sure that... Um, uh, you've well, been listening to the show properly. No, I did, because I was concerned listening to the show. I nearly had to turn it off, turn you off last <laughs> night, yesterday, Mike, because you admitted that you were a communist. Did I? You, you did. You so said, actually, I'm turning you into a communist and you didn't care. Look, we believe in this free is markets. About, this we, is about we the energy business, though, right? The, but this is about the energy business. business. Yeah. But I think you were just slightly getting it. You were sort of... Um, a, a rare moment of confusion in the independent the, the republic. Wrong, you almost said the wrong word, didn't you? There? <laughs> I didn't really say the wrong word. You have to walk back from that yeah. now because you know I'm never wrong. No, the point is this, though. I'm all for capitalism. I'm for free markets. But what free markets don't mean to me, for example, is bailing out banks, which we should never have done, uh, subsidising companies who are, uh, you know, essentially profit-making, and making the public pay for stuff that they're no, not getting. That's right. The free markets must be properly regulated. Properly, yeah. And, and where these things are essentially monopolies... It's not right uh, that these companies shouldn't be able to just run riot. Yeah. And whether it's the water companies uh, or some of the energy utilities, mm. uh, they're essentially, they've got a license to print money. And yeah. it's an absolute outrage. And we're suffering. We're the and, ones and that are paying suffering. the bill. So um, I think, uh, let, let's try and agree in the middle that free markets should be properly, sensibly no, regulated. No, listen, I would love the free market to work properly, but it's not working properly it, because it is being interfered with on too many levels by government officials. In, in the wrong direction. Yes. Uh, most of it in pursuit of their net zero yeah. madness. I also, by the way, don't want to keep seeing the government handing out free money to people so they can pay these extortionate bills. That's right. Well, you know, I've got a bill for 466 quid or whatever it is. They've given me £77 yeah. pounds to pay the bill. Why? They're borrowing with one with one hand in order to give yeah. you to the other, when actually we've got all this money, this energy yeah. treasure under our feet that we all yeah. own, that they refuse to use. Well, it drives I'm, me nuts. But they still owe me about you know, 299 quid, because you know, where am I going to find that from? They've only given me 77. The bill's 486 or something. It's yeah, 166. Well, you know. But actually, with, with, with your kind, generous, compassionate heart, I think you'll probably just leave it with the government, won't you? Yeah, I'll leave it with them. <laughs> of course. It's more, it's more difficult to give it back than it is to take it. <laughs> it is. I don't even know how to do that. Anyway, um, Richard Tice will be back on Sunday. You don't want to miss it. 10 o'clock, the Sunday sermon, always worth watching and listening to. This is Talk TV. We've got uh, more anti-Sadiq Khan rhetoric coming next. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A couple of uh, tweets for you to read out. Mike, let's be straight. Sunak and Cleverly are both out to sell out Northern Ireland. It cannot and must not happen, says Mr Steve. Mike says this, of course Sunak and Hunt love high energy prices and bank profits as the tax helps them refill the coffers. Sunak emptied during his reign as Chancellor. Pumping gas and oil and manufacturing is the way to do it, not fleecing the general public, but they don't give a damn. Uh, very true. Uh, well, of course... Everything, of course, is funneling through into this whole kind of net zero madness. And what we have, I'm afraid, um, is now a situation where almost every politician that is elected wants to see uh, net zero being achieved. And even last night, Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, talking to Richard Tyson and Isabel Oakeshott, defended the net zero policies of the government and said it's the only way to go. Sadiq Khan, of course, uses net zero as an excuse to bash motorists, to tax people, even though he knows very well that an awful lot of the data that he is using actually doesn't work and has been accused of being misleading, has been accused, he's been accused of mangling the data to suit his own situation. He wants to expand the uh, ultra low emission zone. Five councils are now taking action legally to challenge those uh, planned expansions. But let's have a look at what Sadiq had to say yesterday about this. I'm quite clear. Uh, this plan addresses the triple challenges of uh, air quality, climate change and uh, congestion. Uh, delayed for me means more people suffering the consequences of ill health. What is a price for a, children's, for a child's life? What is a price for around 4,000 premature deaths a year? What is a price for a mum doing CPR on a child uh, because of uh, uh, her not being able to breathe because of uh, a consequence of uh, air quality and having to bring that child back to uh, life? I think delay leads to more, more ill health, more suffering. Sadiq Khan, uh, the triple challenge for me is why does Sadiq Khan think that charging people for driving, rather than stopping them from driving, uh, will in some way make the air quality better? Let's ask Nick Rogers, uh, who's from the Greater London Assembly, Conservative Transport spokesman, of course, as well. Nick, a very good morning to you. Hello, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Um, this challenge, uh, I'm pleased to see, uh, legally going ahead, uh, five different councils taking part in it. What's the basis uh, of the challenge um, in terms of the law? They, well, they have a number, the councils uh, have a number of grounds on which, the five grounds, in fact, on which they're taking forward this challenge, one of which is uh, around uh, the consultation. Now, I think we've spoken before about the, the consultation and the much publicised uh, failures um, of the mayor's office and of TfL on that. And we uh, we have, uh, on the GLA Conservatives, we, we brought forward lots of evidence that we believe shows that um, thousands of responses to that consultation were improperly excluded. So that's one of the grounds. But I think one of the most significant factors in this legal challenge is the fact that Surrey County Council um, has joined uh, four London boroughs in bringing this challenge. Because what that shows is that the impacts of ULES expansion, it's not just a London thing. It's going to impact people across the whole of the southeast of England. So I think it's a very significant moment in the battle against ULES expansion. Yeah, very much so. But also listening to, to Sadiq Khan and his reasoning there, you know, it's all off the scale mad, isn't it? Because he's talking about, you know, people who can't breathe effectively in London. I mean, I've lived in London for most of my life, uh, with, uh, with a few uh, exceptions. And basically, the air quality uh, seems to me to be an awful lot better now than it was, certainly when I was growing up. Um, you don't breathe in sort of, you know, petrol fumes anymore. Cars are very much cleaner. But even this logic of making people pay to drive rather than to stop them driving doesn't seem to me to be changing the air quality at all. No, basically, the message of ULES is um, if you've got a polluting vehicle, 
you can drive it as long as you pay twelve pound fifty. So yeah. it, it, it kind of the logic doesn't quite match up. But I thought it was interesting um, watching that clip because it's like uh, he, the mayor is like a, a broken record on this. Um, he has never. We challenge him in the assembly on this on a, on a very regular basis, and we raise with him the uh, the very real concerns that Londoners are raising with us. The fact that. Um, ULES expansion and the, the financial choice between paying £12.50 a day or replacing their vehicles is one that for many people is absolutely insurmountable. And we have the, the very real stories of people who will struggle to uh, live their everyday lives, to uh, get the care that they need, to uh, visit their families, to go to work. The mayor never once engages with those arguments. He never even recognises that they are real. And in fact, recently uh, in an assembly meeting, I asked him, were you surprised? Are you surprised at the level of the public backlash against this policy? Mm. And he said to me that he didn't think there was a public backlash. I was absolutely astounded. Mm. Um, I, I wondered whether he was looking at the same media and reading the same emails that I am. Well, he obviously um, isn't. Because he, he seems to willfully disregard the views of the majority of the people of this city uh, because they asked in a consultation whether people wanted the expansion to go ahead. And I think 80% of people said no, didn't they? Uh, well, 70% uh, of people in outer London said no, 80% of workers in outer London said no, 80% of business owners in outer London said no, uh, and yet they have been ignored. And the whole timing of ULES expansion uh, is, in my view, quite clearly designed to avoid any kind of electoral scrutiny because it wasn't in his manifesto and he's trying to bring it in uh, well before the uh, the next uh, mayoral election in May 2024. So it, it's it's basically an exercise in avoiding scrutiny. And I think that um, uh, my reading of his reaction, of the mayor's office's reaction, is they've been completely taken by surprise by the level of feeling uh, against ULES expansion. And, you know, to be clear, I'm not getting emails just from conservatives. This are, these are people from across the political spectrum, across the whole city, who can see that this is an unjust uh, policy yeah. that will damage London and beyond for many years to come. Well, I mean, London's economy has been damaged, in my view, irreparably by Sadiq Khan and his crazy policies that seem to be so anti-car and so anti-business that I'm surprised he still gets elected. I'm hoping uh, that he won't be re-elected on this occasion, and I'm hoping you guys are going to be able to put up a decent candidate against him this time, And even though Sean Bailey almost got him last time. Um, um, and, and the thing about what... London has become, uh, it was given yet another uh, honour last week, I think it was, um, the slowest capital city in the entire world for driving around, you know, and the most expensive. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it, London is the greatest city in the world, without doubt. And it's one of those one of those phrases that I hear wherever I go across the city and people tell it to me, not as a boast, but as a matter of fact, but the truth is that the best can still get better. Uh, and under Sadiq Khan, uh, we've taken a wrong, a wrong, wrong turn. London mm. is moving in the wrong direction on on too many things. Um, we have a mayor who he puts himself at arm's length from almost any problem. Uh, whenever anything happens on his watch in an area of his responsibility, he uh, evades that responsibility. And I don't think that's what people want from a mayor. I think what people want is someone who will roll up their sleeves, get stuck in. They may well try something, it might not work, but they'll try something else. Right. They want someone who's basically in the trenches uh, trying to solve the problems of the city rather than putting right. themselves 
arm's length from them. And he should be trying to make people's lives easier in the city, not more difficult. I mean, I'm getting um, tweets from people who come to London as well. Simon has said this. Mike, this uh, situation affects everyone. I drive into London from Leeds for work quite often, and I'm caned with ULEZ and congestion charges that will be millions of people affected. And people will find ways of not coming in. They won't suddenly go, oh, I know, I'll use the train, because they'll probably be on strike, uh, and they're not reliable enough to, to make sure that you can get in and out. Certain people, you know, I mean, who can forget David Lammy suggesting that uh, people with vans could just go to work on a bike or possibly use the tube. I mean, you know, these people are deluded. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Sadiq Khan uh, once said that he would be the most pro-business mayor uh, in history. Um, the fact uh, that ULES, uh, you know, ULES puts that that absolutely uh, in the pale is mm. it's ridiculous. I've, the number of small businesses I've spoken to who've basically said this will be game over yeah. for them. Um, I mean, on on that point about uh, David Lammy, I, I was in a residence meeting um, the other day. A chap said that he runs an AV business. He has to uh, take 60-inch TVs, um, multiple tools and all mm. kinds of things uh, to all over the city. Yeah. How can you take that on the tube? He simply can't. So he's going to be hammered. Right. Every single time he does a job, he'll be hammered. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, listen, Nick, good to talk to you. Thanks very much, Adina. Good luck with the, uh, the legal challenge. Five separate um, councils now around outer London, uh, including Surrey, having a go at trying to stop this expansion, this crazed idea that Sadiq Khan has got to expand the ultra-low emission zone. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear some, um, some common-sense views from all of you. We'll take some calls. We're going to pop in uh, to the sentencing of a British embassy spy uh, who was done for leaking secrets to Russia. Uh, also, I'll tell you some more about the world's most expensive gas man. This is Talk TV. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots coming up and of course we want to hear from all of you. 0344 499 1000. In this hour we're going to be going live up to Lancashire to talk to Nicola Adam, editor of the Lancashire Post, about the latest news uh, from the Nicola Bully investigation. What we're hearing now from the Information Commissioner is that the police will now be asked about the Nicola Bully health disclosures to ensure that they were necessary. There's been a, a sort of public outcry ever since uh, the police decided to clarify their position. Uh, they hadn't had a press conference for some days they then had one and basically said um there is a vulnerability to nicola bully um they hadn't said that before they then had to amplify that in a further statement in which they said uh, that she was suffering quite badly from uh, the menopause they then kind of specified it was the perimenopause they also said she had a problem drinking uh, it was also then revealed that there was some kind of um police attendance at the home of the family bully uh, they didn't explain why that was or who called or what happened but they're now uh, referring themselves to the police watchdog so uh, there's an incredible amount of interest we heard just before the news there from a caller uh, who said the police are looking in the wrong area uh, there's been an unprecedented amount of public information uh, being passed around an unprecedented amount of public interest really in this case as well um, and even Suella Braverman now the Home Secretary is concerned uh 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, over the police response uh, to the Nicola Bully case. Meanwhile, the family have issued a statement saying that they are still uh, with uh, full confidence in the police and that, in fact, the police uh, were right to issue the statement that they did. Uh, and they issued a statement to Nicola herself appealing for her to come home, almost as though they somehow still believe uh, that she is out there somewhere, that she is alive, uh, that she didn't fall into the river or jump into the river uh, wire, uh, as it is the local river, uh, and that she still is somewhere out there. It's such an incredibly complicated and complex story, um, and a fascinating one at that, but also a tragic one. Let's talk to Nicola Adam, who's the editor of the Lancashire Post, to find out what the latest is. Nicola, very good morning to you. Morning. Um, This is quite a remarkable story. I don't think in all my years of covering any kind of missing person story or any crime story that there's been this much public interest in in it, for one thing, or this much public involvement almost. It's quite strange, isn't it? Yes, I think it's um, a real example of something kind of in uh, the internet TikTok age. It's it's taken off in a way I don't think any other case I've ever seen has done. Certainly here in Lancashire, you know, it's, it's, it's the first time it's happened in this way. Um, and it's been incredibly difficult for everybody to navigate. Obviously, firstly, for Nicola's family um, and friends, how on earth do you manage this situation? But then also for local residents, also for the police who, um, you know, this is unprecedented for them. They've never had to deal with something quite like this before. Um, They've had, you know, dealt with serious cases, but the way that this has played out is 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 you know unusual and obviously a lot of you know they there's been a lot of criticism about some of the ways in which they've handled the comms around it yeah but at the same time it's been very much um in this huge massive lens of pressure 
that they've been doing so. Um, and have they made all the right decisions? Probably not. But yes. I think at the same time, uh, you know, they haven't to do it on the fly in many ways. Right. Well, I suppose they would say that they've referred themselves now to the police watchdog. I mean, the thing that interests me, I think, the most at the moment, I don't know if you can tell me anything about this, is the visit that was made by the police to the home of Nicola Bully back in January, a couple of weeks before this all happened. Um, have they made any statement about what that was for or what that was about? And that was um, a kind of welfare visit. Um, there was obviously some sort of incident at the home um, connected to Nicola, and they made a welfare visit, but a dis you know they they did visit, but no action was taken right. as they, a result of that visit. But, but they seem to have referred themselves to the police watchdog as a result of that visit. So you know, yes. I'm not sure. And I, again, you know, I, I, the, the, the sort of the um, the jargon that's used now in modern day policing is never very clear. I'm not sure what a welfare visit is. Is it a welfare of the children? Is it a welfare of Nicola? Is it a welfare in general? And you know, I just don't know. I don't, well, they haven't said exactly the details. Um, I think the implication is it was connected to Nicola herself and possibly right. um, the drinking, but um, we don't we don't know that for a fact. And right. obviously, this has come. They've just made this decision to refer themselves after all the criticism has come in about the release of the information. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that will come out in the wash. But we don't quite know what happened on that day mm. or why they've just made this decision at this point. No, I think, you know, after all the criticism that's happened, it would be standard for them to refer themselves um, generally. But, yeah, it, they do seem to have made a very the decision to release all of the information um, was very uncomfortable i think for everybody yes. connected to this um it's um uncomfortable you know it's not i don't think any person would want that sort of information released about themselves you know and splashed all over papers and on television why would you you know even if you were yeah. missing you know so and i'm sure the family didn't want that either but i i do think that they were it was a crisis decision getting ahead of trying to control the narrative ahead of um a bigger splash being made they'd obviously been contacted by another media organisation or something yeah. saying they were going with this story and they were like, well, we want to get out there first mm. with the facts. Yes. Because it wasn't a very big period of time. It was the press conference and then um, this happened like fairly soon afterwards. So that was that decision must have been made in a fairly short period of time. Right. And we've heard in the, in the days following um, her disappearance that people were literally turning up at the side, at the side of the river, taking pictures, mm. taking selfies, almost uh, looking for sort of souvenirs. Um, You'd have thought perhaps that, that, one, that's a very odd thing for people to do, but also maybe the police ought to be better at kind of cordoning off areas. Yeah, it's a difficult one, really. I don't think they would have expected anywhere near the amount of people to be turning up. But you had like a, I mean, I've been down myself, you know, so I'm a part of the problem. But yeah. B, you know, uh, we do, I only live down the road, you know, it's, mm. it's my local area. And uh, it really is not somewhere that people... It, yes it's popular with dog walkers and stuff but it's not like somewhere that's like massively on the tourist map mm. or anything like that um and it's quite a sort of there's a long path that goes alongside the river there and it is a beautiful spot um but yeah i'm not quite sure why they didn't why they didn't cordon off the the area near the bench mm. um for example uh because that is the focus that has become the focus of tiktokers and uh yeah. youtubers and there's there is an astonishing been astonishing amount of people down there um as well as and like, is that is that still ongoing or has that been stopped now? Um, well, I was down there the other day and actually it was pretty quiet. 
but it was it was it was it was at the same you know it was at the same time as the mm. press conference so right. i think all of the they, they wisely held the press conference out of st michael's at police headquarters in right. preston so that drew attention media everyone else over to away from st michael's so that was quite a canny move mm. um but there was still when i was down there there was still um a number of people filming um, and what right. have you um, that look you know with their phones kind of thing not not media yes day, so. yes it's curious isn't it i mean we had a call just before the news there from a, 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 a viewer in preston who said you know the police are looking in the wrong place the cctv footage they're looking at is from the wrong road should be from this other road and that kind of illustrated to me how involved people are in the story how kind of engaged they are with it that this guy um who obviously has nothing to do with it um is worried that the police are looking at the wrong cctv and he knows the roads and he knows the area you know i, I just find it all very weird yeah there's an astonishing amount of opinions out there i would say yeah. um you know and this is a very St. Michael's is a very small place. You mm. know, it's not, there's, there's a population of under 700 people in St. Michael's. It's yeah. not a village. That was the um, other thing that surprised me, that they were saying they yeah. were going to interview and talk to um, the drivers of 700 vehicles that drove past that point at, uh, over a sort of five or ten minute period. There's an awful yeah. lot of cars for a very small place. It is a very small place, but there is a very main road that goes through the middle of it um, that leads right through to, to Preston and through to the Fylde Coast. Yeah. So it right. is quite high high traffic in that way. So mm. I can see that that, that was the case. Um, um, and the path, the, the, the bridge, and this bridge across the river, and then there's a path and it goes off that main road, which is Garstang Road. So, yeah, yeah it's it, I can see that there will be a, have been a volume of traffic at that time on a, a Friday morning. Mm. And one of the things that's interesting to me as well is that this whole revelation about the fact that she was suffering from the perimenopause and that she might have been a drinker, and regardless of whether that was the right thing to disclose, it's kind of kicked off another conversation around the country about the menopause and about how so many women get affected so badly by it that they become practically suicidal. Well, I think that, you know, that is it is an under-discussed situation you know i'm a woman in my 40s myself i do understand this situation and it's something that's in the recent years it started to come out a little bit you know people are talking about it davina mccall etc is mm. talking about about it she's just had a book out but um yeah so it is the conversation but i think there's always it's always been something that's buried under the carpet it's almost like something you've got to be ashamed of mm. or what have you so i do think it is useful to have that conversation out there whether right now three weeks after Nicola's gone missing when we haven't found her yet is the right time for that conversation is another matter but I absolutely think it needs to be had yes yeah and what about your own uh, readers up there at the Lancashire Post what are they what, what sort of vibe are they giving you are they are they because often in these cases people are like leave the family alone you know don't keep pressing yeah. them don't keep pushing them what are people saying locally it's an odd mixture really of just that you know like leave them alone go away mm. you know stop stop publishing stories you know and we we've certainly at the language post and the, the gazette we've taken a line of we we are the local media mm. we are not we're running facts without speculation so we're not running every single line we see in national media whatever we're only running what we know to be true right. um, and know is happening and um, that that's how it matters but still you have like the kind of other side of it is that lots of our local residents all want to help a eh? mm. bit desperate it feels personal you know she, she's she's a lancashire girl and yeah. um, they want her found you know so in that sense people want to get involved they really want to help 
Mm. But then there's the other side of it, people just speculating because it's enjoyable to speculate like it's a TV series or something. This is um, it. I mean, the, people have said to me that yeah. people's fascination with sort of true crime is, is coming out here. Yeah. That they've listened to podcasts, they've watched, you know, um, all sorts of shows like NCIS or whatever, and they're all experts in mm. forensics and they've all got an idea of what should be happening next. I mean, it is, as you said at the top, really, it's a sort of, um, it's, an, it's a play being acted out in real time almost. That's it. That's exactly what it's like. It's like a sort of like um, a story that's happening live, like watching a TV series mm. week after week. But of course, this is a real person. This is a real life. Yeah. And um, we need to keep bringing it back to that because until Nicola's found, you know, the, this this is going to continue to be absolutely, yeah. you know. And in terms of your own papers involved with the police, I mean, do you sort of call them every day? Do they issue statements every day? I know they hadn't updated their website, I'm told, um, this week for about two or three yeah. days, which is kind of what prompted them to have a press conference. Mm. Um, are they doing anything today? Are you expecting any news today? Um, I'm not aware of anything, but I'll be honest, they, you know, they've been so inundated that, you know, we are getting treated exactly like everyone else yeah. in the media. Um, so I mean, we do have some relationships, obviously, um, and we are talking to them, but, you know, they are inundated and certainly the comms team have never experienced anything quite on this no. level. So um, they're, 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 they're kind of trying to manage it the best they can in, in, in a diplomatic way with everybody. But it's, um, yeah, it's a lot, you know, it's not a situation they've come across before. And I'm sure this story you know hopefully you know when it's all played out and when you know there's some sort of combination to this um you know it'll be a case study in how mm. to to manage this sort of situation yeah absolutely good to talk to you nicola thank you very much indeed nicola adam the editor of the lancashire post on the front page uh, of the sun today they've gone with uh, the message from the family to nicola bully uh, where they basically said don't be afraid nikki Please come home. Uh, and that's their front page there, because that in, in the end uh, is the family basically saying, we don't think that she's dead. We think she's still alive. But it's an extraordinary case. And it's an extraordinary um, way it's playing out in the public eye and in the public domain. And so many people who seem to have an interest in the case itself, so much so that some people have gone there to help with the investigation without being asked. It's just an incredible state of affairs. Uh, we'll take your calls on it, of course, um, but if you are going to call and talk about Nicola Bully, you know, let's be respectful. Let's not start making any speculative suggestions about what might have happened to her. Um, I'm interested in more the public's interest in the whole situation and how so many people believe that they need to be involved in looking for Nicola because it's not really anybody else's job apart from the police in the end. 0344 499 1000. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Um, is it a coincidence, uh, or it's no coincidence, I would say, uh, says David, that following the collapse of communism, the bonkers left turn to environmentalism one way or another, they'll get what they want. Uh, and this from um, uh, another texter who says, Hi, Mike, uh, the case of the missing lady Nicola, although not, not particularly in support of the police, they didn't have a lot to go on, did they? The only clues left at the scene where she went missing were her phone and the dog Willow. In all honesty, there hasn't been a lot for them to go on at all. And they have now said, of course, that the problem that they're facing is that uh, they're pretty sure that the phone location shows that she was the only person in that location at the time when she appeared to disappear. It's a very complicated case. It's a very odd case. We'll bring you updates as and when we get them from the police, uh, as I say. Uh, but coming up right now, let's talk to Professor Tim Luckhurst, former BBC executive himself, principal of South College, Durham University, of course, because on the front page of The Telegraph, lots of other papers today, uh, we've got some words uh, from Tim Davey, who is, of course, the director general of the BBC. He was speaking to staff, apparently, this week, 
and he said the BBC has got better budgets than some of the commercial operators um, and of course we don't need to make a profit on everything which is a very nice position to be in he says it's truly amazing what we're pulling off by the way most households are pretty happy paying a license being a forced payment it's amazing what we are pulling off um, I kind of know what he means, but he's probably rather regretting now that it's being published in a newspaper because it doesn't look great for him. Um, Tim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. I mean, he's right, isn't he? It is pretty amazing what they're pulling off in all, in all sorts of ways because they're very much assailed on all fronts, the BBC at the moment. And certainly we know uh, from, from many people that listen and watch this, this show um, that a lot of people no longer have a, a TV licence. A lot of less people are now paying for it than there were. Well, I'm, you're absolutely right, Mike, that I'm sure that Tim Davey would have wished his comments <laughs> to remain private. Yes. What he was doing, I suspect, was celebrating the extent to which people do pay their licence fee. And the BBC is, as he accurately reflected, better financed than some of its commercial com competitors. It's not better financed than Netflix or Amazon or any of the really truly mm. giant streaming services, but it is well financed. And I think that that's appropriate for a great British cultural asset one of our greatest tools of cultural diplomacy. But I think it's also the case that Tim Davey knows that the licence fee is under discussion, that the new Secretary of State for Culture Media has brought Lucy Fraser, will be taking a very long look at whether this is the right way to fund the BBC. And we will be getting a decision about that in the next couple of years. So Tim Davey is defending a system which works well now, but he also knows it's under question. Yes, and I think he's, I suspect he knows it's also going to change uh, quite remarkably under the under his kind of uh, reign, if you like, over the next five years or so. Well, I mean, of course, Tim Davey does himself have a background in conservative politics, so he knows what conservative thinking is likely to be on this subject. And I think conservative thinking is really quite sensible. It's quite clear that most people in the Conservative Parliamentary Party think the BBC is a good thing, mm. that it should continue to exist. But I think that there are very legitimate questions about how big it needs to be. I think there's also very fair questions about the ability to pay. It's very strange that everyone pays a flat fee for the service. I think it should be linked to yes. the ability to pay. I think we should have a proper debate about what the BBC should do, needs to do, and does brilliantly, and what it doesn't need to do. And that's perhaps a debate that the Conservative yeah. government will lead. And as time goes on, we all know that, you know, the whole idea of linear television, i.e. TV that people watch when some, something is on, uh, is kind of in decline. I know their numbers are still huge and, 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 you know, ITV would say the same thing. But fewer people now watch things when they have to, uh, rather now they watch them when they want to. Well, that's absolutely true. But of course, the BBC provides TV that you can watch when you want to rather yeah. than when you have to as well. Mm. And there is a huge archive of very good programming on the BBC iPlayer, yeah. which, of course, we could all legitimately argue that as licence payers for many years, we have funded. So we have a right to watch that stuff. And it's great stuff and stuff that can be accessed. But of course, yes, the market is changing. And if we want to have a BBC that's capable of providing the sort of news coverage that it offers, right. the original drama, like Gold, which is very good, I think, on at the moment, the original that. music, etc., then I think we need to have an agreement as a nation that will fund the BBC in some way, which allows it to survive as a great British institution, but which isn't unfair to people who can't afford to pay £159 a year, and which isn't unfair to people who make very limited use of it. So there has to be a discussion, and I think that there will be change as you say yeah. i hope 
the end of that, we'll have both a BBC, which is thriving and doing things which it can do extremely well, and a commercial sector, which is doing equally excellent work because Britain's television, radio and filmmaking sector is something of which we can be enormously proud and it's not just the BBC that makes great TV and great radio. No, sure. And I think um, a level playing field would be nice for some, for some of us. You know, I mean, local radio in this country uh, is very much dominated by the BBC when it comes to speech radio. I was involved in uh, Talk 107 up in Edinburgh, which was a very difficult thing to get off the ground because of BBC Scotland. And, you know, as long as you've got people being paid a lot more money to work for the BBC, you're never going to be able to set up a local kind of speech station which can do anything like what they do. And so it's an impossible kind of commercial prospect, really. Um, and as he says, we don't have to make money doing things. And they seem to have merged, I think, in the last couple of weeks, BBC World and BBC News Channel, relatively without um, anybody, you know, losing the plot or falling off a cliff or being in a terrible position, you know. And you wonder why they had them in the first place. And I was listening the other day to um, PM, and they were looking at the Nicola Sturgeon sort of, you know, legacy and how important it was that she'd stay there for eight years and all that. And they had two journalists on it, one from The Guardian, one from The Independent. And you think, well, you could try a bit harder than that, surely, to, for heaven's sake. Well, the BBC uses journalists from newspapers because journalists from newspapers can express opinions, whereas their own staff can't. So yes. the BBC has been doing that since I was a Today programme producer in the 1980s. Yeah, but The Guardian and The, and the Independent and nobody else? Well, The Guardian's a left of centre title. Um, I've heard people from The Spectator on the BBC recently. I've heard people from The Daily Mail on the BBC recently. I've heard people from The Telegraph on the BBC recently. And I think that's a good thing. Um, you're right, Guardian and Independent together could be seen as representing one side of the ideological fence, mm. not the other. And perhaps that was a mistake, but people do make mistakes. As a former head of news at BBC Scotland, though, Mike, I have to say BBC Radio Scotland is not as good as it used to be. And it's I agree. No, listen, I, listen I'm, I'm without wishing to in any way be um, given the opportunity to, to, to big you up. It was a lot better when you were running it. I mean, I, I agree with that. <laughs> and, but I also think that Radio 4 Today program was a lot better when Rod Little was running it. But that's, you know, that's just my opinion. Well, um, in terms of audience, you've got a point. I'm, I'm still a huge fan of, B of BBC Radio 4's Today programme, but I think that it is facing new challenges, not least from excellent speed radio stations such as Times Radio, ah. which is beginning to really take it on and to provide some really intelligent coverage. Yeah. So we've got competition. And my view as a former newspaper editor, as well as a former broadcast editor, is competition's a good thing. It keeps yeah. us on our toes. And I'd like to see the commercial sector providing really effective competition across the whole field yes. of radio tv and online services because i think it keeps the bbc honest and keeps it really i think so sharp. but again an awful lot of what the bbc does because they have so much money they can do it in a way that, that for example we could never do i mean we can't compete in any way shape or form with their online services and some people would say and i'd be one of them they shouldn't have that sort of monopoly i mean they've got an incredible number of people employed uh, on their website and they do things that, that nobody else can do so there is no competition competition really for that well i think that the bbc does things that other people can't do and if you look for example at some of the services it provides abroad for example the stuff which is read by people in afghanistan mm. or listened to by people in afghanistan the service it provides on radio which is being heard and listened to in ukraine mm. at the moment the people in russia who are taking the risk to listen to and read bbc content on 
closed closed circuit internet and using private networks in order to avoid being watched by their own security services. This kind of transmission, this kind of material makes Britain a world player and allows us to punch above our weight. Yeah. So I don't think we should knock that. No, I think is the World Service, I think the World Service is one of the best things they do. And I think you're right. But let's maybe concentrate on those and maybe strip away some of the other stuff. Well, look, Mike, if the, the argument is we need to have a big conversation as a nation about what we want the BBC to do, if we can start from the agreement that the BBC is essentially a good thing, but that the world has changed and that there is now a great deal of competition out there and that we need to build a fairer playing field in which the BBC can play its role effectively, but in which it's not acting as a market blocker for others, then I think that's a great way to think. Yeah. And I think that might result in a slightly smaller BBC. It might result in payments which enable people to pay what they can afford rather than playing a fat fee. And that would be, in my opinion, possible. You can have it universal support for the BBC without everyone paying the same amount. And that's an important yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Professor Tim Luckhurst, thank you very much indeed uh, for spending some time with us. Former BBC executive himself, principal uh, at South College at Durham University, of course. Gary Lineker uh, was rearing his head again last night, by the way. Uh, I was forced to retweet a tweet he put out blaming Brexit for what he called a monster queue, which looks actually like a very modest queue uh, waiting for him to come back in from some um, or go out uh, to some com uh, country uh, where he was watching a football match for a very large amount of money. I mean, imagine moaning about that. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense, the only place to be uh, to hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I know loads of you want to get on today. Uh, we will get to you. Uh, we've got plenty of room for callers in this hour, so do please make that call uh, if you want to get on. We're talking about Nicola Bully uh, and the role the police played in the investigation right at the start uh, and whether or not they should have revealed uh, that she had a problem with the drink and she had a problem with the menopause. Therefore, many people say that was personal information that they shouldn't have released. But if anything helps to get her back, if she is still alive, then surely anything is worth doing. Uh, we've been talking about dementia as well. Uh, Bruce Willis uh, has been diagnosed with a rare form, uh, an unusual form of dementia, which affects speech uh, and some of the uh, behaviour uh, that he's going to be involved with over time. Also, we've been talking uh, up to now as well about the ridiculous profits being made by some organisations, to wit British Gas, uh, and the fact that their uh, chief executive might not take his £1.6 million bonus. He hasn't decided yet whether he wants to do it. Nurses are on strike, of course. And if you're trying to get to Scotland over the weekend, even though the weather is pretty bad, um, you won't be able to do it by train. Because apparently there are no trains between Scotland and England. Brilliant. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, of course, uh, has resigned. Uh, we don't know yet who's going to be her successor. The SNP have announced that they will appoint her successor after a uh, leadership race sometime towards the end of March. I believe they've now cancelled uh, their uh, SNP spring conference they were supposed to be having. So it's all going to hell in a handcart now up in Scotland. You can't even get up there. Let's talk to Jamie Jenkins, though, because uh, he is our favourite independent statistician, of course, down in Welsh Wales. Uh, Jamie, very good afternoon to you. Good 
Good afternoon, Mike. All the work you do, and I hope you're on a similar bonus to this British gas guy. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But unfortunately, I haven't been rinsing the public because what we give you, <laughs> we give you for free. You know, I don't even have the benefit of the BBC licence fee to prop me up. So I'm afraid it's back down the old um, um, uh, market at the weekend to, uh, to sell my wares and try and make a bit more money on the side. Um, some fascinating stuff to talk about. Um, we've got some uh, crime statistics to get through. Uh, we've got Nicola Sturgeon and her... COVID legacy to talk about. But let's kick it off, first of all, though, uh, with a tweet you put out about the migrants so far detected coming across the channel uh, in 2023. It looks like we've got two and a half thousand already and we're only sort of midway through February. That's not a great start, is it? Well, no, I think um, Rishi Sunak, Mike, was saying, you know, he was going to stop the boats coming. So yeah. he wasn't reduce the numbers. He was going to stop the boats. Some people have reminded me, can't remember exactly if he said this, within his first hundred days now. Yeah. I'm sure he's been in over 100 days. He has. Well, not only that, but he actually did say he had stopped the boats. He actually got carried away with his own rhetoric in Prime Minister's questions a couple of weeks ago. And he said, we've stopped the boats. It was like, everybody went, sorry, have you? Didn't know that. Yeah, the only thing that stops the boats, Mike, is um, is the weather. And I think this storm otter will mean there probably will be stopping the boats this weekend. That's the only thing that does seem to stop them. But you're right, we've had 2,517 now. That's up to February the 15th. So about six, seven weeks of the year so far. And if we carry on that trend now that we've seen in February, because there was very few last February, if we do carry on that trend for the rest of the month, we'd already be two and a half times in January and February what we saw last year. Now we hit close to 50,000 last year. So the numbers will be significantly higher. Yes, interesting you say that about last February, because actually there was a massive storm last February that hit the southeast corner of England. I can can say that with some uh, memory, uh, because I remember coming back in in my garden, there were several trees down, and lots of trees down in that sort of part of the southeast of England. So so probably that stopped them coming. Yeah, and we will probably, you know, the next week, if this storm keeps coming in and, and stays in, we probably won't see... The kind of the large numbers of the last week for the rest of the month. But what what it means, Mike, is it, it costs the government, obviously, when I say the government, I mean us, the taxpayer, yeah. uh, about £10 million a day, roughly, about £3.5 billion a year. And, and and another thing I put out yesterday, Mike, I was just looking into, into you know, where are we going to house these because the hotels are going to fill in. And there's an event in Stoke on the 1st of March uh, that Circo have been advertising where they're basically looking for landlords to come along, right. where they will basically pay the landlords uh, a five-year lease, all rent paid, mm. all repairs to the property paid, all utilities to, so you know, the expensive gas and electric. They'll pay the council tax, Mike. They'll pay the water as well. And... You know, that is going to cost the taxpayer a lot of money. It's going to take rental properties off the market. And and from my Twitter, the last uh, kind of 12 or so hours, having put the tweet out about that, it's kind of gone a bit mental of people are really angry. Well, about of course this. they are. I mean, I'm and literally, I, 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 I retweeted it. Making on this? Well, exactly. Well, they're making, they've got a two billion pound contract with the government as far as i know they may even have another one for this because they are raking the money in and you're absolutely right i mean i I retweeted it this morning and i'm just retweeting it again as we speak because i mean this will not just be happening in stoke either i mean if it's happening in stoke you can bet your bottom dollar it'll be happening uh, in sheffield it'll be happening probably in rotherham it'll be happening in bury it'll be happening all over the place because what we learned this week as well didn't we uh, is that they've housed an awful lot more of these asylum seekers in red wall seats i.e the north of england um, and points north of sort of you know uh, the Midlands because they think people won't notice. Well, I'm sorry, people have noticed, and people are noticing it more and more. And the thing with the Red Wall, Mike, um, the reason a lot of people went over to Boris was all related to Brexit. 
And there's a vast variety of reasons why people voted for Brexit. But some of them was talking about you know, taking back control, taking back the borders. So that's not going to play well in, in the red wall. And, and you've got to remember, Mike, we'll get some figures, I think, in the next couple of weeks mm. with the latest quarter of terms of where these people are coming from. But it's quite clear the trend that changed in 2022, what were happening before change in 2022 when this was generally Albanians that were coming over yes. as, the, as the majority of the nationalities. And that's a trend that will probably continue. You know, the, the organised crime, we do need to stop this. You know, Rishi Sunak, good luck if he can do it. But, you know, some of the people who are coming over, they won't be housed, Mike, because we've seen stories of some of the Albanians, they, they kind of come across, they go on the boat, they get processed, then they vanish, probably into the organised crime into the UK. Mm. And so you've got to stop that route in the first place to stop the criminal gangs. Yeah. Well, I mean, I often say whenever we talk about the migrant numbers that there's probably still more that were never counted because I know the, the territory down there pretty well. And there's loads of beaches you can land on where there is no border force, where there is no RNLI presence and you can actually land and it's very flat. You don't need even, um, you know, to be towed in. Or you don't even have to jump in the water. You can literally land the dinghy on the sand and just step out of it and, and your feet never get wet. And off you go into the nearest town. And that's happening. I know it's happening. People tell me it's happening. And that could be thousands more. No, indeed, Mike. And, and, and that's, the, that's the big issue that you've got. You know, I, I've, been, I've been told kind of off the record that you've got people who are asked to come in from Albania because of kind of the drug, the drug gangs in Albania mm. are putting them on the boats probably to come and work in organised crime in the UK. Let's not say this is not all of the people coming across on boats. So let's just know not 100% of the people. We do get people who are coming from Afghanistan, Iran and those coming over the boat as well. But as the numbers have gone up, more and more of them have been coming from Albania. And I think Rishi Sunak, at least at that part of it, needs to get a grip on what's going on. And he says he's going to stop the boats. Well, good luck to him, because if he doesn't, Mike, I think the next general election will be a wake-up call for the Tories. Yeah, I think it'll be stopping the Tories, and then that'll be the next thing. But uh, but you're right to point out this Serco thing, and in fact, it's something we'll look into in other parts of the country, because I'm sure there'll be plenty of people listening and watching uh, this right now uh, who will have information for us. Let's talk a bit about Nicola Sturgeon um, and her legacy. Um, very big surprise it was this week when she decided to step down. A lot of us think there must be more to it, you know, um, but she has just kind of lost the plot and she has kind of committed political Harry Kiri, if you like, uh, as all, all because, even though she doesn't admit it, this transgender identity bill. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's strange the kind of the things that can kind of end political careers. Mike. Who would have thought Boris Johnson would have been ended with a cake as well? <laughs> so, so you've got all these different things that go on. I was listening to you yesterday. I think you were kind of talking about this. Uh, and you've been, uh, of course, Mike, she resigned doing your show. All the bill of course she did. Tend to, I mean, you'd like to run your... some stats on the number of resignations that happened during my show. I bet it would be 100%. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would be, Mike, you think. Um, but yeah, you look at her legacy. It's a strange thing. I, I was, it might have been you pointing this out, that when she was doing things in Scotland, people were loving the fact that she was doing things in Scotland through COVID. Yeah. When Boris Johnson was doing the same things kind of south of the border, mm. he, they basically, they were kind of attacking him for it. So yeah. her legacy will be one, not just from COVID, her legacy is one with the highest drug deaths in Europe, yeah. one of the highest drug deaths in Europe, fall in life expectancy. You had the ferry scandal as well. Lots of other things going on. And I think through COVID, Mike, she was the person, obviously, who brought in kind of the mask mandates first. She was found for not wearing masks when it was a legal requirement in Scotland on more than one occasion mm. there, Mike. And the funniest, well, I say funny, but very bizarre policy that was banded about at one point was 
to try and improve the ventilation in classrooms. They were going to chop the bottom yes. of the door in kind of classrooms. Yeah, know. which actually did happen, Quality. incredibly. And also, I mean, she failed significantly to push the uh, independence uh, vote anywhere at all. It's remained exactly where it was in 2014. It hasn't increased. So if there was to be a second referendum, which despite what the SNP say uh, is not a democratic right to have, you know, they say they're being denied democracy. They're not. Um, the fact remains that, you know, she hasn't managed to persuade more people in Scotland to want independence. And that after eight years, you'd have to say, is a massive failure. And she's had a big, big platform as well the last three years, Mike, because remember those COVID conferences? She was on the platform, on the podium. You know, that's where her and Mark Drakeford had more exposure to the uh, kind of the electorate than, than they yeah. could have ever imagined through the COVID period. And to not capitalise on that with, with the kind of the referendum, trying to get that through and in the support for independence. You know, if the independence support had gone up, she probably would have more of an argument for a mandate, but mm. she, there hasn't got up. I mean, it's no, you know, it's no surprise probably why she's resigned, what she's there to try and do. She's not going to be able to deliver, but there has got to be more than meets the eye in terms of why she's. You would think so, yeah. This week. And for Drakeford, of course, it presents a bit of a problem because he was on the brink of adopting something similar to the gender bill, wasn't he? And they said, I think, just a few days before she resigned, that they would like to have a similar bill pushed through, even though they know that the probably Westminster Parliament will block it as well. Um, I wonder if he's going to reconsider that. Well, you'd hope so, Mike. But it, it, bringing up Drakeford, we've added this very bizarre policy this week in Wales where they've banned all new kind of major roads in yeah. Wales. For, I know. For Back to the horse reasons. and cart so, for you, I'm afraid. No, basically, Mike, <laughs> we've got down the road from here, we've got um, a place called St Fagans, the Museum of Welsh Life, which kind of you can go around, really nice place to go and visit. You can see what life was like 150 years ago. Yes. I think the Welsh Labour Party are trying to take us back to the whole yes. of Wales about what it was like 150 years ago. Yeah. You'd be living in kind of horses and carts. But, you know, I, I live in an area, Mike, where not far down the road from me, we've had a huge house building with a desperate need for a bypass. Yeah. They've built a little bit of it. It's called the Road to Nowhere. And it is literally the road to nowhere because they've you can't get anywhere because the road stopped being built. Yeah, about. there's loads of those. And and when when you look into what happened, because one of that one of those happened down uh, not far from uh, where my kids live down in Sussex, um, and they started building this road. And apparently, the company that was building the road ran out of money, so the road literally, like you say, just stops. It's not even it doesn't even sort of go to another road. It just stops. It literally just stops in the middle of a field, and that's the end of that. Um, and then nobody's got any money to to continue it. And so all of the other plans that were built around this sort of bypass have now gone for a burden. And the council, of course, have lost a load of money and nobody knows where it's gone. And, and that's kind of what's going on with this plan here, Mike. The, the, I think the, 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 there was talk of finishing the row when the when number of houses have been built. But that's kind of on hold at the moment because of this plan. And why are they banning new roads, Mike? People might be listening and watching this now mm. thinking, well, why are they doing it? It's come from the Deputy Climate Change Minister of saying that... We're banning new roads because we've got to hit our net zero by 2050. Now, they're happy for population to increase. They're happy for you know more and more tourists to come in. But you've got to have the infrastructure in place to do that, Mike. And mm. the UK emits 1% of the world's CO2 emissions, and the Wales will be a fraction of that. It's just absolute nonsense it why is. they put these plans in place to ruin people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis. If you look at a railway map of Wales, Mike, you can't get a train from the kind of 
from Pembroke all the way up to, say, North Wales without going into England. Yeah. So it'll take you a full day and a half to get there. It's just absolute nonsense. I know. Unbelievable stuff. Listen, we haven't got time for the crime, I'm afraid. We'll get back to that another time when we talk to you again. Jamie Jenkins there, independent statistician, uh, reporting into us from Wales. Absolute madness down there. Uh, there are many, many things going wrong uh, with their government, I have to say. 0344 499 1000. We'll take Across some calls. UK, Coming next. Online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.